Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to James chapter five. Uh, James chapter five, James chapter five, beginning in verse fourteen. James, writing to the church, says, is, "Is any sick among you?" Now, the question implies something that we need to realize, and that is, the Holy Spirit is inspiring James to write a letter to the church, and he asks, "Is any sick among the church?" The implication is there shouldn't be. Is any sick among the church? In other words, the Holy Ghost is impressing upon James. Now, we don't know if it was that way in reality or if it was just the the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. I'd like to think that that was the way it was in reality at that time. But either way, it really comes down to the same thing because it is inspired of, of God. And that is that the norm, as far as God is concerned, is for His people church congregations to be free from sickness and disease. We might go so far as to say God's intent is for the church, the church body, the family of God, to be a sickness-free zone. So James writes by the Spirit of God and says, is any sick among you? Shouldn't be. That's not what God expects. But is any sick among you? There's a remedy. Let them call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, the sick, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, the word save is the word translated heal in other places in the scripture. And you could well understand that healing is being saved from sickness. It's an all-inclusive term. It's the word sozo and it means salvation. Every part of salvation that Jesus purchased. We know that Jesus shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And we know that Jesus shed his blood for the healing of our physical bodies. The Bible says so in the same verses in Isaiah 53 talking about the work of the Messiah. So it says, And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Now remember, this is God speaking through James. This is not James' idea. This is not James' uh, hope. But this is the Lord saying through James, the apostle James, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, this is how it works. Is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. The Lord shall raise him up. And, notice the next part, and if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Notice you don't have to pray a special prayer to be worthy of healing. You don't have to pray an additional prayer to be worthy of the healing power of God. You don't have to pray uh, or have some kind of forgiveness of sins exercise to satisfy the requirements for the healing power of God to work on your behalf. Now, a lot of times the devil will try to condemn us, bring condemnation to us, and tell us that the reason that we are afflicted, the reason that sickness has come upon us is because some sin in our lives or some wrongdoing on our part. Well, did you notice that James said by the Holy Ghost, again, it's the Holy Ghost speaking, giving James the words to write. The Holy Ghost says, and if, if. So that means that not every sickness is a result of somebody's individual sin. If it wasn't the case, if a believer's sickness was always caused by their sin, then James wouldn't have said, and if they've committed sin. He would have said, and since they're sick, we know that they've committed sins and here's the remedy for it. 
But he says, and if. Sometimes it is the case, but not always. Well, yeah, Pastor Mike, that's my situation. I've just always felt like that it was some wrong doing in my life, some sin in my life that holds me back from receiving healing. I had somebody say something like that to me one time, and I said, well, what is this great sin that you've committed? They said, I don't know. I can't figure it out. Which tells you it's just simply the work of the devil trying to condemn them. But even if the case is, even if it is the case that we've committed sin and opened the door to sickness, here's the remedy. And if they've committed sins, the Lord shall forgive them. If he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Not some special prayer, not some additional prayer, just simply the prayer of faith that saves or heals the sick. Now, folks, I think we try to, and I'm guilty of this. I think we try to make things too complicated. We try to come up with reasons why we don't get results. Because we've got to have explanations for things. We've got to have reasons. And outside of the condemnation of the devil, we don't want us, our, we don't want us to be the reason why it doesn't work. We want to find some excuse for why God's not honoring his word. And that's never the case. God always honors his word. In other words, God intended for this to be a surefire way for the body of Christ to walk in health. There's no wiggle room in these verses. Now, we can make excuses out of them, and we have. We, the church people, the church body, modern-day church, have made excuses for these things. But there is no wiggle room in the verses themselves. Is any sick among you? Simple question. Let them call for the elders of the church. Here's the answer. And let them, the elders, pray over them, anointing with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. Notice it's not the oil that heals the sick. James is writing to the church. He's writing to the Jews that are scattered abroad. There is no mention, never any mention made of anointing with oil to the Gentiles. Reason for that is because anointing with oil doesn't mean anything to the Gentile world. Anointing with oil doesn't mean anything to you and me because we're the Gentile world. But anointing with oil was the consecration method in the old days and the old covenant in the history of the Jews. So they understood that anointing with oil signified something. It signified that whatever was being anointed or consecrated was separated unto God for his purpose. Well, Paul said the same thing. Paul said that you glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, bought with the price. So you don't have to anoint yourself with oil or be anointed with oil to be consecrated to the Lord. He's already purchased your body with the precious blood of Jesus, just like he purchased your spirit. So the anointing with oil, we oftentimes follow the, the, uh, the ritual just to have continuity with the scripture. But the anointing with oil has no meaning and it has no benefit whatsoever to the Gentile world. And notice he says in the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Not the oil, not the elders. He says the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise them up. And if... If they've committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now, I want you to look at a couple of times, uh, a couple of other scriptures with me in the, in the New Testament. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 4. 
Well, I tell you what, let's start with Luke chapter 13, then we'll go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10. Speaking of Jesus in his earthly ministry, and it says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bound together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He didn't say you will be. He said you are. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now look with me over to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 tells us about the healing of... uh, Well, it tells us about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It tells us about others that were healed. The man with unclean spirit had him cast out. It tells about entering into Peter's house and healing his mother-in-law. But I want you to look with me to verse 40. Luke chapter 4 and verse 40. It says, Now when the sun was setting at the end of the day, when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Notice healing through the laying on of hands. And devils also came out of many crying out and saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Laying on of hands is something that God intended to carry on through Jesus' ministry to his disciples, meaning you and me. Now, the laying on of hands in and of itself has no power. But the laying on of hands is a point of contact whereby the power of God is transferred from one person to another person. For example, in Luke chapter 13, we just read where Jesus said to the woman, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. Well, there are a number of other cases where Jesus healed people with his words, just spoke to them, and the healing power of God was transmitted. In this case... In the case with the woman with the infirmity, spirit of infirmity that was bowed over and couldn't lift herself up. In her case, it was necessary apparently for Jesus to touch her to transmit the healing power that he had just declared. It was a point of contact. Now, point of contact is not always necessary. But apparently it is in some cases. And God has established, the Holy Ghost established through James a principle whereby the church world, the family of God, can receive and can always receive healing through that point of contact. The laying on of hands and the prayer of faith. The laying on of hands and the prayer of faith. In Luke chapter 4, it tells us that one of the greatest healing campaigns Jesus had was that he took time to lay hands on every one of them. Now, Jesus ministered healing in a variety of ways, and not all of it included laying on of hands. But you may remember over in Mark chapter 6 in his own hometown of Nazareth, where he could there do no mighty work, Mark 6, 8. says he could do there do no mighty work. doesn't say he wouldn't. says he couldn't. He was unable to get them to receive the healing power of God, the anointing of God. He said, it says, and he could there do no mighty work. I said it's Mark 6, 8. It's not. It's Mark 6, 5. And he could there do no mighty work, save or except 
He laid his hands on a few sickly folks, folks with minor ailments, and healed them. It seems that Jesus' fallback position was laying on his hands. Except that the Holy Ghost would prompt him to minister in some other way. Laying on his hands must have been the norm. The baseline, we might say. Because when he encountered in Nazareth, when he encountered unbelief that kept the healing power of God from working, the only thing that he was able to do, the few minor ailments that he was able to, to heal among those that were present, the healing power of God that, uh, that uh, accomplished the healings of these minor ailments was transmitted by the laying on of hands. Now, I want you to turn with me finally to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples just before he's caught up into heaven, after his resurrection, before he departs once and for all back to the Father. And he gave them what we know of as the Great Commission, Mark's account of the Great Commission. Beginning in verse 15, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, I'm going to read, since we just read that, I want to read again from James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And I want you to compare these two passages of Scripture. Let me read Mark 16 first, and then we'll go back to James 5. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. James 5.14 Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now here's my question. What's the difference in these two passages of Scripture? What's the difference? We see that Matthew chapter six, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter sixteen, is a little bit more inclusive because it talks about uh, five different signs that follow them that believe in His name. One of them being, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Where James chapter five is just talking about healing of the sick. So that's one difference. But outside of that, if you take that away, what's the difference in the laying on of hands? in Mark 16 and the laying on of hands in James chapter 5. In 35 years of studying these verses, there's only one difference I can come up with. And that is that James 5 is to the church and Mark 16 is talking about the believers operating in the world. Let me prove it to you. Mark chapter 16, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. The first one is they shall cast out devils. Well, you wouldn't expect that to be prevalent or predominant in the church body would you 
Then he says, they shall speak with new tongues. Well, we would expect speaking with tongues to be something that takes place in the church. But the context that he's speaking here is as a, as a contrast to the world, not as a contrast between spirit-filled believers and non-spirit-filled believers. He's talking about speaking with new tongues as being a sign that the Holy Ghost indwells us as opposed to the unbeliever. The next one it mentions is they shall take up serpents, which is talking about breaking the power of the devil. Well, you wouldn't expect that to be predominantly used in the church body, would you? Fourth, it says, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. He's talking about divine protection. Well, you wouldn't expect you to need, uh, you wouldn't expect us to need divine protection when we're among those that believe like us in the, inside the church, would you? Then finally, he says, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, unfortunately, that's one of the greatest needs in the body of Christ. Because Christians are sick, not according to God's plan, but contrary to his plan. That's why this passage in Mark 16 starts off with, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's telling us in Mark 16, here's how the believer should operate in the world. And one of the ways that he should operate in the world is to recognize that he has healing power available to him through the laying on of hands. But, Mark, uh, but James chapter 5, on the other hand, is instruction. It's the only instruction that I'm aware of in the Scripture that tells how healing should work in the church body. Is any sick among you? Let them, the sick, call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. This is instruction in the church body. Now, the reason that we know, and the only reason that we know, that laying on of hands is included in James' instruction is because of the, the reference to the anointing with all. When you anoint with all, you lay hands on someone as a part of the consecration process. Outside of that, we don't even have any any way to identify that laying on of hands is a part of the process in any way whatsoever. But it's a fail-safe from God's perspective. I know that the church world doesn't look at it this way. But from God's perspective, it's a fail-safe method to receive healing. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. You can't get any more of a definitive and declarative declarative statement than that. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. It doesn't say might. It doesn't say if somebody's especially anointed. It says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. There is no wiggle room in those phrases. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if... If sin is a part of the process or part of the, the equation, and if he's committed sin, then that sin will be forgiven him. How? Through the same prayer of faith. One of the mistakes that I'm prone to make, I'm a teacher, and 
I come from a perspective that everything has to be based on the Word. I don't know why I'm so strong in that. Uh, well, outside of just assuming that that's the way God made me to be. Being around Brother Hagin helped me in that. But if Brother Hagin was a stickler for the Word, I'm a double stickler for the Word. And so oftentimes, I think what I do, I'm trying to analyze some of these things. I think one of the things that I do is I spend more time than is appropriate trying to teach something. And I take away from time to minister. Because notice in James 5, it does not say, is any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and the elders will teach them a sermon. And then after the sermon, we'll anoint them with oil. And then the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise them up. And I think a lot of times what happens is, and my, my intent is right because the word never fails. But I think a lot of times what I have been guilty of is I'm trying to solve through teaching what can only be accomplished through ministry. And the Lord's working with me on that. Is that it? Pastor Mike, is that it? Is that all you're going to do? That's all there is to do. All we have is God's word. The unfailing, unchanging, eternal word of God. And that's enough. Amen? Say it after me. The word of God is enough for me. I believe it shall be exactly how God said. The prayer of faith has healed my body. And the Lord is raising me up. Amen. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, go rejoicing. Amen. God bless you.